as we share is mourn to those on the line who may have been uh, may have tuned in or may have been in the church. Uh, as we shared, you know, the, from the text, Philippians, from from the from the understanding of the text that God would supply every need of ours, every need of ours, and that we just find it amazing how God does it. You know, so uh, Philippians 4 and 19, we share that in a wonderful way, I think. But I wanted to look at Psalms 23, as I said before, kind of piggyback on some of those thoughts. So I have, by the grace of God, I have worked with Psalms 23 over the years. And it can be divided into many, many different segments. Oh, it's so rich. Oh, boy. It's overflowing, to put it in, in uh, David's own uh, voice, his own words. As all Hebrews Poetry is is filled with all kinds of figures of speech and the strophes, and uh, it's just amazing in this particular song the type of figures of speech that I included. Extremely, extremely rich. <sighs> and I'm saying that because. One of the figures of speech that's used in this uh, Psalm 23 to, in a, in a great and effective way, is this anthropopathia. Anthropopathia. We, we, we. We study a, a lot as students of the Bible about all kinds of anthropomorphism. You know how we we don't we we don't see God. We experience Him, and so we can only express and speak about God in ways that are human. You know, so, you know. Uh, we know that God is not human, but that's how we express it. And, 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 and it's nice. It's, it's lovely. I mean, it's, I think it's wonderful because, uh, first of all, it lifts up the, the, uh, the good things about human nature and it plays it on very high grounds. And uh, it's good. And it's something for us to strive for. These human qualities that we give to, uh, to God. But more than that, this anthropopathia, David does it so wonderfully in this song. It's, it's, uh, it's when you 
constantly. When you when you embrace fully and totally and immerse yourself in a feeling all feelings about God that he actually becomes a real person to you in the sense of where you understand the best of humanity. And I know somebody may say, but that's strange. And I look, but look at the psalm itself, Psalm 33. It's not blasphemous. It's not disrespectful the way how David personifies God. And the other, the, 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 the other figures of speech is so, well, man, it just, it just gets to you, meiosis. The various kind of metaphors. Hypocatasis. Hypocatasis. And you it all out and receive it all in. So I have looked at this psalm in so many different ways for its poetic richness, its it's, 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 it's over-excellent figures of speech. Oh, and I, by the grace of God, over the years I've been able to dissect it into small sections, small segments, almost word for word. But tonight, I, I just wanted to divide it into two large portions. I know I've divided it into five portions and seven portions in the past. But based on what we were sharing this morning about God supplying every need of ours, this afternoon, I, I'd like to break it into two large segments. The first segment I don't want to deal with too much is the latter segment. But, uh, you know, for, you know, to get a, an understanding of what I'm trying to bring out is that when you look at, I would say, uh, the first three verses. You could take that as this last segment that I was telling you about, and and, and, and and just just internalize it, just take it all in. God is he's saying thematically that God supplies your every need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Clearly, 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 God is supplying every need of the sheep. It's, it's right there. And the metaphor of God being a shepherd and us being a sheep. It says it right in the first verse. I shall not want a supply every need that I have. Put it in green pastures. Lead it me beside the still waters. Can't have sheep drinking out of fast long waters. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, I've read so much about sheep. I'm just fascinated. He leaded me beside the still waters. He restored my soul. He leaded me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But this second segment segment that I like to share with you, I you know, divided into two last segments, dealing with God supplying over every need. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can clearly see a shift starting at verse 4. A shift from a idyllic scene of a shepherd and sheep to something else. And sometimes we relate this too much to funerals in some ways, and I'll try to share that with you. And don't necessarily, I don't know, maybe people do, but I think that some don't really relate this to God supplying the need. And this is big. This is just as big as the first three verses that has to do with the shepherd and the sheep. And there's some interesting interjections in it 
One is verse 5, thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And the other one is, thou preparest a table before me, as I said, in the presence of my enemies, that's one. And the other one is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's break it up just a little bit. You know, when you study the Psalms, particularly when you study uh, from the Ugaritic language, it is clear that many of the phrases that are used in many parts of the Psalms are, are very old. And what is being said and reflected uh, shows and, 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 and betrays the fact that the Hebrew people were in Egypt for over 425 years as captive people. So their linguistic, their customs, the diet, many things uh, were Egyptian. Just like us, doesn't matter where we have come from, uh, we are Americans. We, 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 we can't get away from the way people speak, which would include us, and act and do things and understand things because we, we, we are Americans and, and we might be several generations of Americans. As a matter of fact, it doesn't take but one generation. And people are many ways acclimated to the custom that is predominant around them. So when I've looked at this over the years, of course, I, I saw all these references in there, all these things in there that, that reflect uh, Egyptian culture and practices and so forth and so on. Now, I'm not going to get into all of it. I mean, there's so much here. But one thing I want to point out right away is that what a wonderful contrast. Oh, boy, it flows me every time. The contrast between a lowly sheep, shepherd, Shepherds weren't royalty, they weren't noble people. Uh, and the only rich shepherd was the one that really didn't take care of the sheep. They had hired people to take care of the sheep. But the transition that comes up starting in verse 4, ah, yeah, don't think too much.
Invincible Funerals. And then there's something about, yes, dying in there. It, it talks about walking through the shadow of death. But this has to do with royalty. What a wonderful contrast. From humbleness in the first three verses to a powerful person and powerful people in verses 4, 5, and 6. Some giveaways, and I won't go into all of it today, and hopefully one day you could, or maybe I would. It's in verse 5, Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's not being vindictive, it's not being... I... I... One of the things when I... It, it, it's not trying to put your enemies down. It's, it's saying that God takes care of this person or these people or whatever in spite of their enemies. That's what it really means. I think I've told this before about the experience that um, uh, Kopas never had once when we were in Egypt. Uh, and um, we, we did they had us to eat in tents. You know, that custom is still going on. Oh, whole smuggler's board. Oh, big layout of vegetables. Everything that you desire to eat. Right out in the open. You know, I was just speaking to Royal Leonard. I think it was last night uh, because something came up and um, and I was saying, you know, remember the time we were in Senegal and uh, the, whatever happened with the the um, travel agent or whatever, they, they really weren't with us that much. We kind of was on our own, but one of the itinerary, one thing was an itinerary was to go to to a uh, particular place and see Senegalese uh, dancers, you know, African dancers. And Senegalese are known as one of the great African dancers, and all of them are great from all over Africa. And when we got there, we were so taken aback in this large place. And, and dinner was prepared for us and all that stuff. We were the only two people. You'll never forget an experience like that. Just the co-pastor and I being treated royally all by ourselves. A table to appear for us. Ah. Uh, given to us and attention given to you that you would treat a king or a queen 
in that respect. I'm going to move my head with all my cup running over. But the verse I really, really, really want to share with you, and I have shared some of this in the past in my writing and so forth, but tonight I wanted, based on the experience that we had this morning, I wanted to go into it a little bit more. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for God with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Egyptian society spent literally many of them the whole life preparing for the burial and for lack of a better word resurrection in some ways to the leader to the pharaoh and later on noble people also to go into, you know, to this afterlife. Can you imagine, though? I mean, it's a, it, 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 you have to have lived in that time and have that kind of mentality to know that people actually die themselves preparing for the royalty, the, the pharaohs, to have their afterlife. And that's what they live for. And that's what they were consumed by. Isn't that something? But this is the, for lack of a better word, this is the royal treatment. And it's being given to them. So in the first segment that I shared, you know, the sheep is taken care of. And this ladder off that I'm sharing with you now is how a king or a queen or a female pharaohs were cared for, not only in this life, but in a life to come. Yeah. That's the comparison that I like to make. So David saw himself metaphorically as God taking care of him as a sheep. But David also saw himself of God taking care of him as a royal chosen person of God. Thy rod and thy staff. That's what threw me into all of this from years ago. And I, I 
explain to you in more detail than I've done in the past. What I used to say in the past, if you see an Egyptian depiction of a pharaoh, they would have what is equivalent to what's being stated here in verse 4, the rod and the staff. It was on the sarcophagus, the, you know, the, 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 the outer covering of the tomb, because people were placed in this, in this container, so to speak. But it was decorated one day. They had a, it was placed into a decorative encasement, a decorative coffin, if you want to say, but this more a coffin is a, it's a, it's, a, it's a great piece of art that is put over this. You, you've probably seen it. And so particularly on, on that, you would see the arms cross. And, and you'll see what would represent this rod and this staff. The crook and the frail, you would say in English, is those ancient symbols that was used for the powerful, particularly the pharaohs in ancient Egypt. The Heka and the Nehata, the rod and the staff. <sighs> the shepherd's crook stood for kingship and the frail for the fertility of the land. That's interesting. Because David tying this rod and this staff of the Pharaoh, the mightiest person in the Egyptian society, back to the lowly, lowly shepherd. Yeah. But by the understanding in ancient Egypt, these were not lone symbols, these were powerful symbols. There's a lot more to it, but I, I, I wanted to, to get that over to you. This stuff, this wet that shepherds used to protect their sheep. The crook represented the pharaoh's role as a shepherd in care for the people of Egypt. The flail was known as the Nekaha, as I told you. It was a rod with three strands of beads attached to the top. signified power. 
God takes care of our every need. He will supply all that we need. So slowly as we could get and as most powerful as we could become, God would so supply our need to the extent even when the most powerful Pharaoh would depart his life, the rod and the staff would be there as God, as the ultimate shepherd, would protect him. Surely, goodness. And mercy stop. Goodness and mercy will accompany me all the days of my eternal life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And where else could you be taken? better care of than in the house of the Lord. Oh, I think I'll stop there. Uh, I was a little lengthy this afternoon, but I want to get this across. And um, uh, I, 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 there's a lot more that you all can, you know, you, you all can uh, study up on these things. <laughs>